This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! Welcome to a Men in Blazers pod special with a truly extraordinary human being, David Wagner, manager of newly promoted side Huddersfield Town. Back in 2003, the Terriers were buried deep in the bowels of England's football pyramid, just 24 hours away from bankruptcy and extinction. But their passionate fan base and a new devoted local ownership group granted the club a lifeline. But their fortunes weren't truly transformed until Wagner's arrival in 2015. The German striker and former US men's national team player, turned biology teacher, turned innovative football manager, inherited a club with one of the lowest payrolls in the championship. But he defied the economics of football and managed to drag the squad forward through force of will, avant-garde locker room bonding strategies and a hard-charging, pressing, unrelenting style of play, which he refers to as terrier football. I sat down with Wagner in Huddersfield, a beautiful northern textile town perched high in West Yorkshire, and we talked about his career arc, his managerial philosophy, his remarkable relationship with Jurgen Klopp and his US international career, but most of all, we discussed his tiny terrier's prospects in the unsentimental, unforgiving world of the Premier League. I love listening to him, and honestly, I admire not just David Wagner's approach to football, but the way he grapples with life, and I think you will too. David Wagner of Frankfurt, Germany, a financial city, stark contrast to Huddersfield. Yeah, slightly. <laughs> Frankfurt is much more bigger and busy for sure as well. So this is Huddersfield, a small town, not a city, a town, but a proud town, real working class area where everybody really tried to invest everything what he has, not only for this football club, uh, for his town as well. And so it's slightly different. What a journey it's been for you to come here. You're a professional footballer, a talented player, a striker, right? Average talented, I will say. <laughs> or, or maybe uh, less than average. <laughs> I played most of my career as a striker, yes. A striker who hasn't scored goals, so it wasn't the most <laughs> successful striker. I preferred to play more on the wings. Uh, sometimes even I were able to score some goals, so it was just an average uh, career. 15-year career. You won the UEFA Cup with Schalke, but your personal peak must have been when you displaced Jurgen Klopp as the starting striker for Mainz. I would say the UEFA Cup was the most emotional and famous day in my football playing career that I replaced Jürgen. This only happens because the manager made some right decisions. <laughs> you've known Jürgen Klopp, you said, longer than you've known your wife. I know Jürgen now since 1991, when we first met us in Mainz, when we played together. My wife I met nearly a year later. We'll get back to Jürgen in a minute. You never lived in America, but you qualified to play for the United States by birth, thanks to your father, who was an American serviceman. 
when I played for Schalke, I played together with Tom Dooley. He was in this time the captain of the US team. And in one of our conversations, he found out that I have an American passport as well. And then he said, why do you didn't play for America? And I said, I've never thought about it. And then it goes very quick. I got my new passport and Steve Sampson, who was a manager at this stage in America, called me. I played some test matches. Eight caps. Yeah, some qualifiers for the World Cup in France as well. And unfortunately, I was only an alternative player for the World Cup squad. So, But this was a very short spell, one and a half years for America. It was during a turbulent time in the team's history. What was your dominant memory of that time? To be fair, my memories were quite well because it was a, a funny squad we had together. So there were some real characters like Eric Vinalda or Alexi Lellis. Brett Friedel played in gold, so some very good players as well. I learned a little bit in this uh, few times I were able to join them something about the, let's say, American way of life. So they really tried to took it easy, everything what was around the game, but when the game starts, uh, then they were totally focused. So I really like, because we in Germany are always very focused, uh, concentrate, be in the tunnel uh, three hours before the game, maybe three t- three days before <laughs> the game. In America, it's a little bit more easy, everything in the pre-preparation for the game, and I really enjoyed it, to be fair. The way the 1998 World Cup ended up for America, you dodged a bullet, but your career ended in 2005 and you took five years out you gained a biology and sports science degree from Darmstadt University you've said about this time that you fell out of love with football what happened this was the case at this stage of my life I was in professional football 15 years I've thought I, I I've seen everything in the world I played football for America in Costa Rica El Salvador I played with Schalke UEFA Cup in Spain in, in Italy so I thought I've seen everything and I was was not any longer hungry and greedy to be in this business I always thought at this time there have to be more outside the world rather than only this football family and my wife worked as a physiotherapist and I was involved in some of her ideas I was injured (laughs) quite often in my career as well so I thought okay what I like to do and uh, this was why I thought biology is interesting and then I thought okay a teacher is a nice job as well, a lot of holidays, only <laughs> working half a day in Germany. This was the reason why I studied sports science and biology. And this for sure were, were one of the toughest, hardest five years in my life because to come back to university and I, I wasn't in school for, for, I don't know, 12 years, 13 years, sit beside 18, 19 year old young people and then try to get something in your head what is not used to. This was very difficult for me, but I've done it. I got my degrees and uh, for sure, if somebody asked me what was your biggest success so far in your life, in your career, apart from your family, then it wasn't uh, the UEFA Cup or it wasn't the promotion with Huddersfield. For me, uh, to get the degrees uh, in sports science and biology after five years in the university, this was my biggest success so far. And it's sh- it has shown me that if you really like to get something, uh, you have to invest, unfortunately. 
there's never a present in life, but you are able to do it. But in 2011, Jurgen Klopp called, asked you to come and coach the second team at Dortmund. You spent four years there. You gained management experience and your daughter also gained a godfather. Our relationship and our friendship started 25 years ago. So if you work together, sometimes it makes it more difficult because if it's your friend, you are very honest to him. And uh, sometimes <laughs> you, you will not say to him what he likes to hear. You say to him what you think what is necessary. And it was very, very good for me and my developing because I learned a lot in this four and a half years. We were very tight, very close together. Our training pitches were only... 25, 50 yards away from each other. So I joined his training group very often. He followed my training group sometimes. It was a very, very good time to learn from me in this four and a half years. And it was a very, very good time for me to get used to what you have to do as a manager because here in England, uh, it's slightly different than in Germany to be a head coach or to be a manager. You arrived here in England, West Yorkshire, November 2015. Hard to believe now, but Huddersfield back then sat 18th, just outside the relegation zone. This club, traditionally been underfunded, unheralded. What attracted you here in the first place? There came a few reasons together. There was one reason that I, I had the feeling... My job was done in Dortmund. I really wanted to have a new challenge. And uh, then it's all about opportunities. And uh, one of the best opportunities at this uh, time was for sure to go to English football, uh, to the football where everybody in the world follows, especially in America, <laughs> they follow. So this was for sure one of the biggest reasons. I thought I've seen everything in Germans football from the playing and the manager side so I, I know everything in Germany uh, about the Bundesliga, Bundesliga 2, Bundesliga 3 and even Bundesliga 4 I had the good knowledge I, I know a lot of people in this business sporting directors, managers, players but I had no knowledge here and no experience in England and this was one of the biggest reasons I wanted to learn something about a totally new market I haven't known anything about English managers, English football clubs, uh, structures, traditions, stadiums, players. I was totally unexperienced. I never was before in England before I signed here for Huddersfield. You had never set foot in England? No, only London Heathrow Airport when I uh, tried to get my connection flight to America. So, but I never spent a night here in England before. So it was a totally unknown country for me. But... It was uh, English football, so it is this kind of magic what you have if you hear, okay, it's England. And uh, this was what excited me and my assistant manager as well. And then we made the decision, okay, let's start something totally new. Like your time at Darmstadt University, your five years there, English football, you like being out of your comfort zone. To be fair, I'm a human. I'm not sure if I like to be out of my comfort zone, but I know if you like to progress and if you like to develop, you have to come out of your comfort zone. And for sure, I, I have to uh, left my comfort zone when I made the decision to come here to England. Yeah, that's correct. You stave off relegation. You throw yourself into this new world, English football. English football is driven by money. By and large, there's a correlation between budget and success. Huddersfield 
have one of the lowest wage structures in the championship. The cap salaries then are just over $600,000. How did you do it? Uh, to be fair, as I said, my knowledge wasn't the best <laughs> when I first joined. So this everything is true, but I have known it before. When we started here, we were two points before the relegation zone. Then we lost our first two matches and uh, we dropped into the relegation zone after our first two matches. And then step by step, we played better football even if we didn't uh, get the results. And uh, we kept the league very comfortable with, I, I don't know, 12, uh, 13 points uh, before the relegation zone at the end of the season. And yes, we've known that we will not be competitive uh, financial-wise, even in the championship. And this was then uh, the reason where we thought, OK, we have to find new ways. And one of the new ways was that we have to create our own identity in this football club and uh, to maybe think a little bit to the left and to the right. If you only go mainstream, then you will not be competitive because... As you said, money is important. It's not everything, but it's important. And I think we found our own ways to try to be successful. I, I want to talk about some of these ways that you instituted. You introduced double training sessions as soon as you arrived. Championship teams don't often train like that. Were you not afraid of a player mutiny? I think this was one of the lucky moments I had that I met a group and this group was very, very open-minded and, and very forward-thinking as well. Or maybe they only thought, come on, he could not be worse than everything what we had before. So I was the first uh, manager from abroad. Uh, I'm the first non-British manager in this football club's history. And the club exists nearly 110 years now. And this is why maybe they thought, OK, come on, give it to the Germans. Maybe nothing can get us more problems uh, as we had so far. And it's the English way of Everything else fails, give it to the jury. Yeah, okay. Yeah. This is a, and sometimes it's successful. Nobody knows why, but it is. Yeah, and as you said, we, we changed something in the training regime, double session training in the evening. If we have an evening kickoff, go into the hotel before the games, before home games as well, try to prepare you, changing something in the nutrition, changing sports science change the facilities. So uh, there were a lot of changing, and I was very happy that I had a chairman who backed all my decisions because even if we are not the team with the biggest budget, a lot of these ideas cost money. I'm aware about this. And the chairman said, OK, probably even if he didn't understand why, uh, I back it. And uh, at the end, the success yeah, gave him a good feeling. That strategy that you mentioned is fascinating to me. You change training times to match exactly the kickoff time of your next game. If it was at 3 p.m., you trained at 3 p.m. If you had a night kickoff, that's when you got together on the training pitch. Can you explain how little details like that can transform footballing cultures? I'm totally convinced that uh, the details make the decisions everywhere, especially in football, off the pitch and on the pitch. The quality of the individuals is so high and there are only slightly different in terms of the individual quality. And uh, you only be competitive if you search for the details, find the details and then hopefully make some good decisions to change the details. So for me, it's all about the details in this game. How did you adapt tactically to English football? You're pressing, hard-charging, relentless footballing style. It's exhausting for the players. And in England, referees allow a lot more physical play, which means there's not as many breaks. 
in play for the players to re-energize. They tire earlier. How did you adapt? The players only had to get convinced and then they had to trust and to believe in what they are doing. We didn't have to adapt. Uh, we only brought our idea of football to this football club. And this is the idea of a high intense, uh, of full throttle football, not a boring game. We, we, we like to have speed and entertaining in our game, even if we uh, sometimes will fail. This happens, this is part of the game. So uh, we didn't have to adapt. Where I had to adapt was that we didn't have a winter break here in England, and this was where I was used to. So I changed slightly my training regime, especially in the international breaks, this four international breaks over a year. This was maybe one of the advantages I had because I studied sports science and biology. For sure, our team was not the best one in the last season, but this was the fittest one. And uh, this is something I am and I was totally sure we will be one of the fittest team in the next season as well. If you are able to stay in the game, especially in England, in British football, because it is so intense, like you said, because the referee uh, whistles not as often as he does in Germany, for example, you have to stay in the game for the last 10 15 minutes and if you are then fit enough then you are often able to decide the game and this was something what we've done in the last season very often so we won 25 games 22 by one goal and um, this was one of the reasons because we were one of the fittest teams. You also overhauled the squad you brought in 30 new players ahead of the last campaign five came from Germany can you explain the mentality that German players bring into an English locker room? I have not only bring German players in, we brought some other players in as well. Ah, it wasn't only because of their mentality. We searched for players who got maybe promoted in their career, who played more at the top of the table rather at the bottom of the table. We try to search for players who were captains in their clubs, who are able to have responsibility or had responsibility in the past. Apart from that, there should be good characters and good players as well where we search for. And I think we found the right ones. Uh, it was good to find some players who were suited to our game, to our identity, because they played for Dortmund, for example, or in teams who play similar from the idea of football in Germany. So many players arriving at one time. You had to go to unusual lengths to forge that sense of team unity that's critical. You took professional footballers off thought to be amongst the most pampered in professional <laughs> sport. You took them, Bear Grylls style, into the Swedish wilderness. Yeah, we've spoken about comfort zone and uh, this was something uh, I wanted to do. One idea was if you take all the electricity apart from them and there's nothing what they can do on an island when you have a mobile phone, you have no internet, you have to speak <laughs> with the person who is next to you. And if you do it for four days, then after six hours you think, okay, it's boring to make it alone, so I, I make it with someone. And if you're then not able to have as much food as you usually have and you have to find something you know, or to fish something, uh, then you bound together, you, or you start bound together quickly as you usually do here in this environment where you only meet yourself for three, four hours uh, over a day when you have training. This was one idea and the other idea was I've known for sure that the championship isn't a comfort zone. This is a very hard working division and I wanted to give them the feeling what it means to leave your comfort zone and if you are without 
everything what you usually have in your life, uh, then you have to leave your comfort zone. They did it, and it worked so far. But it's fascinating because within months you had globalized this team. You yourself are the first foreign manager, but it's also such a hyper-local team, Huddersfield. And you wrote into players' contracts that they had to live within 30 minutes of the training ground. This is not unusual in Germany, for example. You usually like to live uh, near around your training facilities because if you have double session, you prefer to go to home between the double session and lie on a sofa at home. I know that in England the culture is that it's not a problem to drive one, one and a half hours to training and you are not like to... Uh, remove yourself or your family if you switch a club. This is different in Germany and I think with our training regime you have to live near the training uh, facility to have the best recovering and rest after training or between training. And this is one of the mentalities, for example, the German brought to this club. But now, after nearly one and a half years, it's usual for most of them. But there is a hyper-local character to this club, owner Dean Hoyle born and bred in Huddersfield, still lives here. Fans at this facility come into the training sessions, they're public, common in German football, incredibly rare, and we've all unheard of in the Premier League. And the players, they even eat in a canteen that the public can access, which is fascinating, but after a brutal loss... Yeah, the, the, the public must stick it to you guys. It's a community club, isn't it? So, <laughs> yes, we are different in a lot of ways. Even if we now for sure have to change slightly areas where we have to be private as well, because if you take now 10 minutes from your car to the changing room because of all the autographs and, and, and selfies everybody likes to have, it, it wastes your time. Uh, so... We will uh, for sure create an area where we are together with a community and then we will create an area where we have to be private and uh, really work on the things we have to do and this is the main part of our job. But yes, we are different and we are a community club and we will be a community club in the future for sure as well. This is one uh, things which Dean Hoyle uh, really wants to have. The culture of this club, being around it, it just feels to be a place with no fear. And the style of football that you've inculcated, it's also fearless. How would you describe it? I think it's important that you make yourself as good as you can, independent from all the circumstances which are around you, especially when the game starts. It makes no sense to think about the opponent too much, how strong he is, how much money he has. It makes no sense to think about the stadium, how big it is, how many supporters are. You have to make yourself independent from this circumstance because you are not able to influence it. You have to be focused on yourself, on your identity. You have to trust and believe what you are doing. And then you have to do everything you can, invest 100%, and then you have to accept the result. That style fits the club's nickname, the Terriers, incredibly well. Not the biggest dog, but it thinks it's a big dog. Yeah, and uh, even if you are not the biggest dog, maybe you have other advantages. You can be mobile, you can be quick as well. You can be aggressive even if you are not the biggest dog. You have to find your own ways. We as a Terriers, uh, with our identity, I think we found our way. And we will uh, stick to our identity, even now in the Premier League. I think it makes no sense to change something uh, what works for you. We only have to make it better. You found your way in then, some Against all odds, predictions, bookmakers, your <laughs> team ended up fifth. 
and then you win both playoff games, possibly the most German way of all, via penalty shootout. Yeah, so we got promoted without scoring a goal. So it was our own goal. We scored a uh, Sheffield away. We got promoted without winning a game, only after penalty shootouts. And we got promoted with a negative uh, goal difference. So we had a few records in the season so far. But at the end, we got it over the line. And I think if this team has shown something, is that you have to make your self-independence from circumstance which you are not able to influence. And this team was able to, to handle setbacks. And we had our setbacks over the season. Even in the semi-final, we had our setback when we were 1-0 down against Sheffield Hillsborough in the second leg. It's difficult to come back. We came back. In the Wembley final, we had our setback where we were 3-1 down in penalty shootouts and we came back. So this group was mentally very, very strong to handle setbacks and they had this fighting attitude, what you need. And while we live that Wembley final with you against Reading, goalless draw, not the greatest game on the eye for the neutral, but that, when that went to penalties, effectively a $220 million shootout and your team went 3-1 down. I mean, holding on, but barely... What emotions were you experiencing on the sideline? Your dream, I was, the Premier I, League dream was over. This was never in my head. I was totally relaxed at this moment because I was so proud about what the players have done so far. And I'm not stupid and I know that penalty shootouts is a gamble and sometimes you need the luck. Of course, we had positive experience in the semi-final. Yeah, I was calm in this moment. Fortune turned. You sent up Christopher Schindler to take the clincher. Can you describe the emotions you felt in that moment as that ball went in? Believe it or not, but it's now uh, for me far away. It's a movie which I've seen now more often, but I have no real memories about my feeling at this second. I thought, okay, it's a chance, please put it in, but it was nothing special in this moment. I thought about the Reading players and, and their manager as well. I know what they've invested and how tight they were and... I think my first uh, way was to the Reading manager after we scored the winner and to the Reading players as well. Oh, you're a modest man, but what you've done, this is Huddersfield. You've taken this town and put it not just on an equal keel with Manchester, with the London teams, with the massive brands in global football. You've taken this town into the global spotlight. Yeah, but it wasn't only me. It was so many people in Wolf in what we created in the last 18 months. And if you are in this process, you didn't really realize it because everything happens step by step and now you are in the Premier League. And even if we speak <laughs> about it, it sounds surreal. I think when we play our first game, Crystal Palace away, it gets more realistic for everybody. Now we prepare us for it. And yes, it sounds great. But at the end, we have to make sure that we prepare us as normal as we can for our business. And our business is to play successful football, even on the highest stage in the world. Yeah, I mean, now it does get very real. Pep Guardiola, Jose Mourinho, Arsene Wenger, they're all coming to Huddersfield. Does it fill you with fear? No. That, that, that they can drop $100 million on a player, no problem. How can you compete? If we stick in our identity and if we believe and trust in ourselves and if we able to handle setbacks, which we will for sure have. So we met Pep Guardiola last season in the Cup. We draw Man City at home, nil-nil. 
and we lost 5-1. So you can see everything can happen in the games, even if against the biggest dog in this division and for, or in the world. And we will meet some of the biggest dogs in the world in the next season. So we are for sure fearless, even if we have a lot of respect, but we trust and believe in ourselves. And we know that in one game, you are always competitive. Maybe not against one club over a whole season, but in one game you are always competitive. And we like to search for our chance. As a footballer or as a sportsman, you only ask for a chance. And we have a chance. We have a real chance. You cannot ask for more than a chance. What you do out of your chance, this is up to us. And we have a real chance. You said recently that you're now obsessively focused on finding unique competitive advantages. We are totally focused on developing different ways, on fitness, on tactics both individually and as a group. Can you give me some examples? I'm not going to tell anyone. Secrets. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen, uh, we know that we have not the best individuals in this group. We know that there are individual players who are maybe a little bit quicker, who have maybe a little bit more technical skills, maybe a little bit more experience on the highest stage as well. Yes, but at the end, they are only humans. And we, as a group, we can compete if we work together and if we found our way to eliminate this high quality of individual. And we have to make it uncomfortable for individuals uh, that they are not happy to play against us to have the ball. This is what we have to do and what we have to try. And on the other side, we have to be honest. We are speaking about the top six, top 10, 12 in the Premier League. But then we are speaking about some clubs, for example, Brighton and Newcastle, who we played against in the last season. And some games we lost, some games we've won. So it shows us we are for sure able to collect our points in this division as well. We have the chance. You only ask for a chance. You've played down the Jurgen Klopp connection. You've said you've not asked him for advice about the Premier League. But October the 28th, you travel to Anfield to play Klopp to Liverpool. I was trying to think about how that would feel. I can only think of like Luke Skywalker facing up to Darth Vader for a little more, <laughs> ge little more German. So hopefully I'm Luke Skywalker. <laughs> so <laughs> It will be strange for sure, but this is so far away. There are so many games to play before this. I not really can make my head around about this now. What model do you follow? I mean, there's clubs that have come up in the past, Barnsley, Bradford, they're one season and out, two seasons and out. What gives you hope? Every club has his own history, his own identity, his own philosophy. I think it makes no sense to be scared about, oh God, how many teams got relegated immediately after they got promoted, how many teams stayed up. We have to write our own chapter in the Premier League and uh, we will invest everything that this is a longer one. For me, the wonder of Huddersfield is in this money-driven world, this economy-obsessed footballing culture, you've proven that any club, no matter what their size, no matter what their financial backing, can rise to the Premier League. Do you share that sense of wonder? Do you share that sense that you have proven, not a footballing lesson, but a life one, that anything is possible? It's an American team, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but it's sport. Listen, it's sport. In sport, everything can happen. And I think we have seen 24 months ago Leicester, another fairy tale in British football, when Leicester won the league. It was financial-wise uh, 
not possible that this happened, but it happened. And we followed Leicester in the last season when we got promoted. It was not possible financial-wise, but we made it happen. And of course, we are proud what we've done. And we, we know that this is an unbelievable achievement, but now it's in the past and now we are focused on the present and a little bit in the future as well. The hardest thing in life is almost to allow yourself to dare to dream. I always said I'm not a dreamer. I have more visions than dreams. And for me, the difference between a vision and a dream is in a dream you wake up and you didn't really know what happens. Sometimes you not really can remember how your dream was. In a vision, you, you have targets, you have ideas, how you reach your vision. And uh, this is why I have more visions rather than dreams. We are working on our vision at the minute. I have far more dreams and visions, but I wish you a season of far more visions, David. Long may they continue. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you very much. <sighs> what a gent. It's hard to listen to David Wagner and not begin rooting for Huddersfield Town in the season ahead with German-American Danny Williams in their midfield. The Terriers kick off their season at Crystal Palace this Saturday, August 12th at 10am Eastern Time. The Huddersfield documentary, alongside films on Newcastle and the beautiful Brighton and Hove Albion that we made, will air on NBC Sports later this season. Until then, courage. <laughs>